Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the ninth season of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, bands, and people connected with Tom along the way. Uh, so last week, over on Facebook, social media, Bob Reedy had responded to me mentioning that You and I Will Meet Again was a simple song, saying, yes, simple but nice. It is filler, but good filler. He had a serious hot streak from Full Moon Fever to Wildflowers, and it's fitting that this is when I became a fan of his. To which my executive producer, Paul Roberts, replied, Excellent critique of this track. Thanks, Paul. Uh, another very deep cut known only to pettyheads lurking in the depths of side two. As you say, Kev, Tom does so much with at face value, so little. A delightful song with an optimistic story so vague, yet strangely specific. Sorry to disagree with Bob above, but there is no filler on this album. A solid 8.5 from me. And I'd agree, I think. Um, for me, none of the tracks on this album are fillers, um, but I think it would probably be worth defining what filler means to me. I've always thought of filler as songs that really only have been included to make the album long enough to be published um, or released, but wouldn't have made the cut if stronger songs were available. And I think all 12 cuts on Into the Great Wide Open stand up on their own as really solid to absolutely superb songs. Um, so I'll side with the boy from Bolton this week, but don't get complacent, Paul. I may have a change of fart next week and start making some noise in your direction. See what I did there? Uh, Jill Lucas usually listens to the podcast in the evenings, chilling in bed, I believe, uh, but tuned in a little earlier than usual and had this to say. Oh, I couldn't wait till bedtime. Uh, great analysis as usual, Kevin. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, you said just about everything I thought of. The lovely line, one day the rules will bend, put me in mind of the universe, creating the possibility that we will all get to meet Tom one day. Wouldn't that be amazing? I also saw a similarity with how could I get so close to you and still feel so far away with American Girl. God, it's so painful when something that's so close is still so far out of reach. Uh, and she also agrees that it sounds very Beatles-like. Could imagine a sitar somewhere buried deep in the mix. Anyway, I loved it. It's got to be a solid nine for me. It's sad and hopeful at the same time. Tom was good at that. Off to bed now. Well, first of all, thanks a ton again, Jill. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. And that sitar being in there, you know, I mean, there isn't one in there, but you could definitely hear it. I think that's a great call. And we also know that Mike Campbell could play two bungee cords wrapped around a camel's humps. He's that good. So I'm sure he could have made that sitar sing. After all, he knows all the chords. And he ain't strictly rhythm. Uh, finally, friend of the show and recent guest Mark Lindsay of Sight and Sound commented, First off, glad you're feeling better and back on the Petty Project train. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, now, about this often overlooked song. I like to play this and built to last for close friends. It is barely remembered by even hardcore Petty fans. It's a timeless universal lament about such experiences as losing touch with someone we once knew. Hearing it and listening to it reminds us and makes us think of lost friends, lost acquaintances, and those we have unfortunately lost forever. However, the title alone tells you Tom refuses to dwell on the negative uh, despite the heartache. Tom makes it a jaunty and yet haunting tune with guitar and harmonies as well. Thanks, Tom. And hey, I couldn't agree more, Mark. Uh, the deeper I've dug into Tom's songs and especially his lyrics, it's staggering how often he could completely nail a specific part of the human condition and write something so universal without being bland or predictable. He always found an interesting way to say something true. Thanks as always for your comments, folks. Keep leaving them and I'll keep reading them. Uh, today's episode looks at the penultimate track from Side 2 of Into the Great Wide Open, Making Some Noise. Uh, go check out the episode notes for a link to the song if you want to listen to it before we dig in.
In conversations with Tom Petty, when author Paul Zolo comments that making some noise has a nice riff, Tom replies, yeah, that was Mike's riff. I wrote the tune in words, and Jeff may have come up with the verse pattern. And that was something Mike brought in, and we thought it was really great. And we put our heads together and wrote it. He used some kind of odd tuning to play those notes. And I did a little digging into this, and it appears to be an open G tuning. So what that means is that the strings are all tuned to notes in a G chord so that all six strings can be played without being fretted, and you'll get that G chord. The standard tuning for a guitar is E, A, D, G, B, E. So with open G, you tune the top two strings, the E and the A, down a full step to D and G, and the bottom string down a full step also from E to D. This also gives those two bass strings a fatter, deeper sound and makes the combinations of notes and chords sound different to a standardly tuned guitar. The song was played 42 times live in 1991 and 92 and was brought back out once in 2004 and three times in 2005. So only played, what, 46 times. Uh, But Tom says it's a great song to perform. It's really a lot of fun. And I'm going to include a live version of the song from the Take the Highway video that just absolutely cooks. So check that out once you've listened to the episode. And I'll talk a little about that version, how it's different towards the end here. The song kicks off with that rollicking fun riff from Mike, full of bends and little runs. It's one of those riffs that you hear and think, wait a minute, is that an old country lick or an old 60s rock and roll lick? It has such old bones, and it stands out in stark contrast to a lot of the rest of the record in that way. But coming after you and I will meet again, it's a superb piece of sequencing to lead this little barn burner of a rocker until almost the very last track. It's that wonderful little left turn that keeps your interest at peak levels throughout this entire album. And it's different in so many ways that you could be forgiven for thinking at first, how are they going to make this fit with the tone that has preceded it? There are so many sonic differences on this song to anything else on the record, but once it gets into the verses and you get that wonderful big wash of guitars, you know exactly where you are in the petty verse. Rather unusually for this record, the rhythm section is mixed quite high in this song. The bass absolutely thunders through this track, and the drums sound like they're about two feet away from you. You can hear that whip crack of Stan's snare and the tat-tat-tat-tat of the hat with absolute clarity. And we talked before about there being people who don't really care for Jeff Lynne's production, and I will grudgingly agree that several of the songs on this album, especially on side one, do sound better live, but I think the production on this one is absolutely flawless. It's so absolutely crystal clear in every detail that you never really need to run the tracks through AI software to be able to discern what every single person is playing. After four bars of just that single lead guitar from Mike, the drums and bass kick in for a further eight bars while Mike jams out that epic piece of guitar work. Once we get into the verse, there are two very distinct guitar parts and we get a throwback to the early albums when Mike would be mixed into the left channel and Tom into the right. So we hear that deeper guitar tone on our left and a really bright, trebly toned guitar in the right channel. And that right channel's, you know, Tom is just playing really nice open chords here. You have Howie Epstein underneath this pounding away at double time on the single root G. And even when the guitars drop to the F chord, Howie still sits on that G with just a little run back up on the first beat of the bar on each change. It's such a propulsive bass line that you could just get caught up listening to that and not the rest of the song. Stan Lynch just drives the backbeat and you can hear a cowbell being hit on the ones and threes with a couple of sympathetic notes thrown in too. Super cool. Not a ton of cowbell in Heartbreaker songs, so I like it here. The way Tom sings this one, you can just hear the fun he's having radiating through the mic. And I like to imagine that this one didn't need too many takes to nail. The story itself is a rock and roll trope for the ages, but as always, Tom handles it brilliantly. If Eddie in the album's title track was maybe the product of cynical marketing rather than a a real true passion for music, the unnamed narrator of this song is just like Tom and the Heartbreakers and hundreds of thousands of other working musicians who stay up late 
to play their music and just want to turn it up loud. There's a really subtle little fill from Stan to bring us into the chorus, and playing it this way maintains the almost mechanical drive of that backbeat, so there's no break in tempo. This leads us straight into the chorus where Mike breaks out the second killer lick, which repeats three times before dropping out in the last two bars of an eight-bar chorus. The song has no time to hang around. In fact, the pacing and drive gives it it's almost an impatient feel that matches up with the story that Tom's telling. During the chorus, you also get something I don't know that I've heard before. It sounds to me like Tom's vocal is clipping just ever so slightly, so that you get a very light distortion on certain words. So if you listen to the word voice and noise, there's just that hint of crackle to the vocal. Now, it, that could just be me, but I, I think it's there. Um, and I, well, as a note, if you ever hear music nerds like me talking about clipping, it means that the gain on the mic is a little too high, or it's been deliberately put up too high or high when uh, the singer's singing, so there's too much signal coming in. So remember on your old hi-fi, those of us of that age, which I think most of you are, when you see the sort of, you know, the, the little bars and yellow would climb to green, up to orange, and then eventually to red, and sometimes it would just stay red and be maxed out the whole way through, well, that's what clipping is. You're pushing too much signal um, into the channel, you know, and you can use that deliberately to get a slight distortion on the vocal, which is what I think they're doing here. The lick that Mike is playing is offset by some stabs on the rhythm guitar, but again, it's the bass that's providing the bedrock for the chorus, just as it was the verse. Coming out of this first chorus, there's no respite. We get the drums and bass cutting out for that same four bars as Mike slips effortlessly back into that intro guitar lick. We get another four bars with the drums and bass coming back, and then we're immediately into verse two, which proceeds pretty much as verse one did, but with Ben Montenci's organ part, which I didn't mention in the first verse, brought just a little higher in the mix. And he's just playing two notes. I'm pretty sure it's like a, the root and fifth uh, of the chords. And then we go into the chorus again. So there's, no, there's not much development of the, the verse and chorus here, but that's okay because it just rocks. As we come out of this second chorus, the main riff kicks back in, but the drums and bass stay with it because we're building to some epic six-string wizardry from Mr. Mike Campbell. Tom screams a single note to lead us into the solo. No big drum fill here. Stan's just keeping that locomotive rolling at high speed down the tracks and letting Tom blast out that lonesome whistle sound. Now, this album has some exceptional guitar work from Mike Campbell all over it, and I'd actually posit that it's maybe his best soloing on a Heartbreakers album to this point. Now, of course, the solo in Running Down a Dream is next-level stuff, but the solos he lays down all over this record are tasteful, expertly crafted, and always exactly what the song needs, of course. So what's the difference with this one? Well, it's an absolute, straight-up, bona fide face melter. No restraint, no holding back, Mike just lets rip. And he does it using a dirty, squelchy, beautiful wah-wah tone that he doesn't lean into very often at all. But of course, it's exactly the right part. Of course it is. I always say that I don't play the tracks in the episode itself, but I did isolate Mike's guitar solo to play it for you because it's worth just listening to that in all its glory. And when you listen to it, he's not flying up and down the fretboard, but man, it's quick, and man, is it precise. <laughs>
Okay, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. So your question from last week was this. Tom's 1993 Greatest Hits release has been certified as platinum how many times to date by the RIAA? Is it A, 8, B, 10, C, 12, or D, 14? Now, did you know this without looking it up, without cheating? The answer is... 12. The album reached number two on the Billboard chart, number 10 in the UK, and cracked the top 10 in Australia, Norway, New Zealand, and Sweden. Now, I only have two songs left on Into the Great Wide Open, including today's song. Um, and after a season wrap with John Paulson and a season end guest or possibly two, I'm hoping to have on, I will be digging into the two tracks from Greatest Hits before I arrive at base camp to tackle the Everest of the Petty Catalogue, Wildflowers. And I'll be announcing some special plans I have for that season when it's closer to the time and I have everything confirmed. Your question for this week is this. On 1993's Greatest Hits album, which song replaced Something in the Air as the 18th track on the 2008 reissue? Was it A, Stop Dragging My Heart Around? B, Anything That's Rock and Roll? C, Jamming Me? Or D, Insider? Okay, back to the song. The third verse is just an absolutely wonderful little piece of writing. From across the canyon, a guitar plays through an amplifier on a long delay. It was an old melody. I recognized the song. I had an amplifier too, so I played along. I mean, come on. That's just a fun, visual, evocative, brilliant line. And it comes from personal experience. Tom tells Paul Zolo about the inspiration for that verse, saying, when I was writing, I was in this canyon. And in canyons, you can hear the other side really well. You can pick up a conversation that's going on over on the other side really well sometimes. I was playing my guitar, and then suddenly I heard another guy playing his guitar on the other side of the canyon. And in my mind, I thought it would be really funny if we could play something together. So I incorporated that into the last verse. And I love this idea of two people on opposite sides of a canyon being able to hear each other and potentially be able to play just to the notes each other is playing, even if they can't see each other. There's something incredibly poetic about that, and it sums up what music is at its very heart, connection. I love the specificity of a guitar plays through an amplifier on a long delay. Obviously, the delay he's talking about is the time it takes the sound to travel to him, but it also works in the idea of a delay effect on the guitar itself. So you've got, you know, a nice little sort of, it's almost a pun there, right? And he also chooses, I had an amplifier too, rather than I had a guitar too. And it's such a good piece of really focused songwriting. 99% of people would have written, I had a guitar too. But Tom makes it just that little bit more interesting by using amplifier, which has four syllables rather than two, allowing him to change the cadence of that one line. One of those little pettyisms that no one else really does. So coming out of this last verse, we get two runs through the chorus before everything drops out one last time and Mike plays that infectious, hummable riff for us into and through the outro. Here we have Tom repeating the title line, the cowbell coming forward in the mix, and then Benmont's piano careering through some eighth note stabs, all accentuated by Stan Lynch laying into that crash cymbal. My only very slight complaint is that this one fades out. It's a song tailor-made for a big hard stop ending or a big rock and roll ending. And in the live version, the ending is just off the chart epic. The song was used as the show closer and it's like an oral fireworks display to end the set on a huge high. The live version also utilizes Ben Montench's superlative rock and roll piano skills to much greater effect. And overall, this one is just made and meant to be played live on stage in front of a huge crowd. 
As I mentioned earlier in the episode, the story is a fairly well-worn tale of a young boy who just wants to play his music and play it loud. Look at me, mama, I'm making some noise. It's such a great way of describing the energy and passion of playing in a rock and roll band. There's a nice build that Tom does throughout the choruses too. Uh, In the first he sings, I was making some noise, as the narrator looks back nostalgically to his early days. In the second he sings, I'm making some noise, Uh, I've been a worried boy. So this is the present time, but the second line ties into the verse that precedes it. I thought maybe I could make it if I never give in. I've been down before, I ain't going down again. So the impression here is that the narrator is now established, but not yet successful. So again, that line, I thought I could make it if I never give in. And this line definitely feels self-referential to me. After the disappointments of Let Me Up I've Had Enough and the initial rejection of Full Moon Fever by his label, Tom bounced back in a big way. And this is his way of doubling down on that won't back down ethos. And listen to the way he sings the line before that, I've been down before. He throws a little melody inflection in that he doesn't use anywhere else. And I've not heard anything quite like that um, on the catalogue so far. I've been down before. The last chorus stays in the present, but adds the telling line, I'm making some noise, I'm still a working boy. And the way I interpret this is Tom, or the character he's assuming in this song, looking at his life as a musician and saying that, first of all, he's still the same person he was in the first verse when he was still trying to make it. And second of all, even though he now has made it, he's still working hard. And this is one of the most important aspects of Tom's character that I think endears him to us as fans and elevates him above a lot of his contemporaries. Tom never took the work for granted. Never stopped working to be a better songwriter, a better musician, a better person for that matter. That work ethic was part of his DNA and was the foundation that a Hall of Fame career was built upon. And I've always thought that this lyric shares a kinship with Late in the Evening by Paul Simon. There's a great line in that song, I turned my amp loud and I began to play. And I know that because you listen to this podcast, you must love rock and roll music. And when you hear the crackle of a cable being plugged into an amp, or that low buzz from the speaker, there's just something primal and irresistible that happens to you if you love this type of music. Your whole body responds to it in both a physical and emotional way. It's not just music. It becomes like oxygen for your soul. Making some noise just captures that rapturous feeling of delight that we all feel when a groove hits us and the amps blaze that sweet rock and roll onto our synapses via our ear canals. Okay, Pettyheads, that's it for this week. I usually talk lots about the technical stuff I'm listening to on these songs, and I don't often, maybe not often enough, talk about how I connect to the music as a whole. So as a kid, I fell in love like so many people did with the Beatles, and it was the album Beatles for Sale that, for the longest time, was what I had on continual repeat. I loved I'll Follow the Sun and Eight Days a Week, you know, and Words of Love, but there was just something visceral and important to me about the way Paul belted out, hey, 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 or John screamed out, that's why I go for that rock and roll music. His reverb-drenched voice cracks as he does that. And, you know, of course, the Beatles were infected by the music of Chuck Berry and Lieber and Stoller and so many different rock and rollers from the 60s. And they committed that infection to vinyl so the contagion could spread over miles and decades to the impressionable young ears of a young lad in Wigan who ended up 
doing a podcast about rock and roll. When I listen to Making Some Noise, I get the same thrill I remember from listening to those early Beatles records. You know, at this point, this isn't music that's changing the world. It has no political or social message, really. It's just a rock and roll song about rock and roll and about what rock and roll is. It's a feeling, it's about connection, and it's about enjoying every single moment to the best of your ability. Look, I may be high on this song, but as one of the very best all-out rockers Mike and Tom, with Jeff Lynne in this case, of course, ever wrote, I have to give this one a 9 out of 10. I just love it. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check us out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. Hey, I'm Corey. I'm Scott. We're going through every single Aerosmith song. To create the ultimate band mixtape. Corey, do you remember mixtapes? I sure do. Join us every Wednesday for Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited right here on the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. You can also check out my other podcasts, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast that I do with my best friend Randy Woods, who performs all the music you hear in this podcast, um, and the Ultimate Catalog Clash that I co-host with the hardest working man in podcasting, Corey Morissette. Uh, we are talking about Metallica this season, so come check that out. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Go follow, like, subscribe, do all those things, and leave ratings and rankings, and talk to me and leave comments. Um, yeah, keep talking to me on social media, and I'll keep reading out your comments. It's a nice way for me to sort of connect with different ideas and different sort of looks at, different, at Tom's music. I always hear something where I've thought, oh, yeah, I haven't really thought of that. As your weekly reminder, The Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with The Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit official streaming platforms or go to your local independent record seller and grab some real media. Go buy a record or a tape or a CD or something, something you can hold and look at. If you're looking for official merchandise, go to TomPetty.com. And if you're looking for merchandise for this show, please go to TomPettyProject.com. I do have lots of t-shirts and lots of cool designs. I think they're cool anyway. Cool designs there that you can check out. Um, don't forget to go visit the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. If you're not already a member, they're fantastic groups and excellent little fan communities. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to wrap up into the Great Wide Open with the hauntingly beautiful last track, Built to Last. Bye-bye.